you're listening to the True Life Church podcast. To learn more about True Life Church, including our service times in Melbourne, Florida, join us online at truelifemelbourne.com or find us on Facebook. Today's message comes from lead pastor Joshua Smith. True Life Church. How are y'all? I'm behind a wooden box today. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, I want to start off with just some prayer, and we're going to dive into our um, going to dive into our time of word and scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, just thank you for again the opportunity to to gather together to worship you. As this body of Christ, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Again, there are cultures uh, and people around the world that don't have the access we just have. And being able to have a Bible in our language, not only in our language, a preferred version of that in our language, and to be able to carry that freely and open it publicly. So God, as we turn our hearts uh, to your word, I pray that this message is guided by your spirit. And that what is spoken will be um, beneficial to all of us as we, again, grow in obedience and uh, in direction of you. In your name we pray. Amen. We are in our series of Nehemiah, and that video hopefully just reminded us of a few things that we've been talking about over the past five weeks. This is week six now, if you're keeping track, in our series in Nehemiah. And uh, hopefully that video, uh, about a minute seven, saved me a lot of recap time. So pay attention to those every week. We're going to be reminding ourselves of the things that we've learned. So if you're just picking up with us, uh, that's where that is. Fortunately, today, uh, Wi-Fi is back. Um, uh, Turned out, so if you're joining us online, welcome. You can watch, see us today. Um, But uh, those storms that came through the weekend before last ended up frying through the Ethernet cable, fried all of the modems and our router, just took it, took it all out. Um, so that must have been on, I guess, Saturday or sometime. So we had no Internet, so the Internet is back, and uh, new routers configured and stuff. So thankful for simple things like that so we can engage with uh, people who may not be able to be here in person today and, and pray that you're able to join us soon. So we're in week six, again, of this series in Nehemiah. And uh, I want to recap by just reading... Uh, from the beginning of chapter 5, and then where we're going to, and we read that last week, uh, and we're going to focus our, our attention today in the book of Nehemiah is the second half of chapter 5, which is just about five verses, so it's not long. So uh, chapter 5, the book of Nehemiah, verse 1. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers, for there were those who had said, with our sons and our daughters we are many, so let's get grain that... We may eat and keep alive. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were also those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers and our children as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and daughters to be slaves. Again, some they had had to sell some of their own kids off to keep the mortgage on on the field and the land that that they had. And so the Jewish uh, leaders there in the city of Jerusalem, some of the leaders were just raking in the dough and, and the kids. 
and, um, and they were profiting just fine, but the people were suffering. It's not in our power to help it, for, the men, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. <clears throat> and Nehemiah, verse 6, says, I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. This was higher than the tax it had even should have been. Again, around 12%. And I held a great assembly, got it all out in public against them. And I said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold in the nations. We are in captivity. We are in slavery and bondage to other nations for 70 years. And we come back, and now you're selling each other. You even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields and their vineyards, their olive orchards and their houses and their percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been exacting from them. And then they said, we will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priests and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. So be it. And praise the Lord. And the people did as they had promised. And that's where we left off last week. We talked about how God looks at our hearts from the uh, book of First uh, Samuel, chapter 16, about how David had a heart after the Lord, and Samuel the prophet at that time wanted to anoint a king that looked great but wasn't great on the inside. How God looks at our heart and how these leaders there in Jerusalem, they had, they had bad hearts, didn't they? Selling off their own and generating a whole bunch of income. They were wealthy, they were fine, and they were raking it in. And they're taking advantage of their brothers and sisters who are working hard, rebuilding the wall. And we also talked last week about how we are grafted into the tree. Um, we looked at Genesis even, all the way to how we have an opportunity to basically choose the other tree. And I remember Adam and Eve chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? They didn't choose the tree of life. And then in Romans, uh, in, in uh, chapter uh, 12, we have the opportunity to like read and say, hey, we're learning from Paul that we are grafted into, we have the benefit of all of these histories, and the Old Testament has led us to a New Testament, a new covenant in Jesus Christ. And if you need a visual image of the tree that we are grafted into, there, there's one. Just food for thought. That's really the tree we're grafted in because Jesus is life, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yes, okay, all right. Okay, just making sure we're talking about the same Jesus. So all of this was not very good. So hopefully you had had a moment last week where you're able to let the Holy Spirit search your heart and say, you know what, what's really going on? On my insides. Well, we're going to pick up right where we left off and now go into week 6 and into now verse 14. So we have, in contrast now here, we have the 
the, the rulers who took advantage of what was going on in the city of Jerusalem. And now we have Nehemiah. And he takes a little bit different route in leadership. Moreover, verse 14, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, when he sent there from King Artaxerxes to rebuild the wall and do the things that he's sent to do, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the reign of Artaxerxes the king, that's in case you're not tracking with math, he explains it for you, 12 years, it's a long time, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors, the people who had come before me, took advantage of the system. They laid heavy burdens on the people. They took from them, for their daily ration, 40 shekels of silver. Daily. Now, in modern day money, that amounts to about $800 to $900 a day. That's a nice amount of money, right? Like, it'd be tough being poor, getting $800 a day. You might still be poor because you mismanage it. That's a whole other question. But So you have an example in your mind about how much they're getting in. So they had an allowed for the governor. They took their daily ration of 40 shekels of silver, and even their servants lorded it over the people. Well, I did not do so because of the fear of God. We're going to come back to that. Verse 16, I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, though as the governor he would have been allowed to. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. They weren't there to serve Nehemiah. They were there to serve Nehemiah's goals. And Nehemiah's goal was build the wall, right? So we already read in the previous chapter how Nehemiah is kind of not even changing his clothes and, and working and ready to fight at, at any and every moment. So even his servants aren't waiting and fanning Nehemiah and giving him grapes, though he could have said, that's your job. No, his, his servants that came with him they're working on the wall alongside of him. Again, we are co-laborers, co-mission. We have a co-mission with Christ. So we're laboring alongside. But I didn't do that. I didn't do what people had, do, had done before me. I didn't misuse the system. I didn't take advantage of others. Why? Because of the fear of God. Now, remember when this, a couple verses before in this exact same chapter, when he confronts the Jewish leaders, about what they were doing. Hey, the thing you're doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in, now in verse 9, ought ought you ought to not walk in the fear of our God? And so now his basis, his reference point for the accountability of others and the accountability of himself is the same. Walking in the fear of God. Do you walk in the fear of the Lord? I'm not talking karma some made-up little voodoo thing. Like if you do good, good comes back to you. I dare you to find that in the Bible. If you do bad, bad comes back to you. You know you reap what you sow, sure. But it's not just out there in the ethos. It's not just good things are just going to start coming to you because you read a fortune cookie that told you so. I went to a Chinese restaurant this past week with my boys Caleb's fortune cookie didn't even have a fortune in it. 
Like, how do you explain that? Like, you know, if you, if you base your, your life view out of, like, some kind of karma thing, that's a really bad omen, right? There's not even a fortune in the fortune cookie. No, we need to be walking in the fear of the Lord. For our God is holy, right? Is our God mighty? Is our God powerful? Is our God omnipotent? Is our God omnipresent? Is our God good? Is our God merciful? Is our God loving? Is our God worth fearing? Yeah. See, that's a component that a lot of people don't want to approach in modern day church. They like all the other things we've just said and affirmed. We shouldn't have to fear the Lord. Like that's Old Testament stuff. Uh uh. Absolutely not. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? So if Old Testament people feared the Lord, should not we also fear the Lord? Does it affect our daily decisions? I think on that. Like, do you not do something out of the fear of the Lord? Do you do something you shouldn't do? No one's watching. No one's paying attention. This is confessional. This is Aiden's confessionals. I really think about that. No one else is watching. If you're on private mode on your browser, or you can delete your history... Are the decisions you make out of the fear of the Lord and His power and His judgment? It is for Nehemiah. That's why I think we can learn so much from this book and from this man of God who made the fear of the Lord the foundation of his decisions. Verse 16, I also persevered in the work on the wall, and we acquired no land, though he would have been allowed to. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. They're not serving him, they're working on the wall. Moreover, there were at my table 150 men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now, what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox, a whole cow, and six choice sheep, and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O oh my God, all that I have done for this people. And so we see a picture and a really glimpse into the heart of Nehemiah here. Is Nehemiah selfish or selfless? Selfless, right? So he could, he could get a, a money allowance being the governor. He declines it. He could get a food allowance being the governor, and, and he declines it. You could have your meals paid, bro. You could get $800 a day, bro. Like, mm-mm. Because he's looking around at the work that needs to be done. And everyone needs to sacrifice something for the work to be accomplished. 
And that's why he calls out the leaders in this chapter slightly before this, what we talked about last week. Because what was ultimately the problem then in the city of Jerusalem wasn't a wall problem. It was a heart problem. And at that point, halfway done, Nehemiah was looking around, hey, we can finish the wall. But if we build it and its insides are corrupt, we haven't built a a good city. We've built a, a bad city. So Nehemiah has to ask himself the question, in a way, what are we building? Because if, if it's the goal is the wall to be done, we can, we can get that to be done. But if the goal is the improvement of God's people, the shaping, the reforming, the confessing, the growth, if, if the goal is moving God's people into a closer relationship with God, then, then that's what we really need to fix right now. And so you see halfway through this wall project, the focus becomes more on the heart, not on the blocks. Nehemiah has a great understanding for the reality of their situation. And knowing that if he asked for what he was entitled to, it would put a burden on the people and they wouldn't be able to accomplish the goal. Let me ask you a question. Do you have that same Nehemiah-like mindset with what God is building here? Are we in a place, are you and I in a place to personally and, and privately even, we can say, you know what? God's doing something important here at True Life Church. I believe that. I can see it. Maybe I'm growing. I see people's lives change. I've seen the testimony of what uh, new life and new baptisms and, and new growth, growing in relationship with Jesus Christ. I've seen changes in, in, the, in the people's family. God is doing something at True Life Church. And not only do I want to be a part of it, but are you asking yourself, what will it cost me to keep working on it? Book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 1 through 21, says this. I'm going to read a, just a little bit longer chunk so that we arrive at where we want to. But I want, I want you to hear this because it's all important in the words of Jesus. In the meantime, when there were so many thousands of people had gathered together, they were trampling one another around and in and just trying to get to Jesus. Can you imagine, like, you ever been, like, see one of those pictures of, like, a crazy mosh pit concert or whatever, and people are just, like, there's no room, and, like, why would you want to go to a concert like that? I don't know, but people do. It's not me. And that's how crowded it is. They're trampling one another, and he began to say to his disciples first, because they were probably acting crowd control, and closest in proximity to him. He said, Beware of the leaven of the bread of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So he explains obviously what the what the bad bread of the Pharisees is. It's what? Hypocrisy. He lays it right out there. It's not hidden. This isn't covert. You don't have to have a theological degree to understand this in verse one. And it's there. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now I please please bear with me on this. 
I, I want you to, to think of religious people you may or may not know, or groups, or churches, or whatever, could even be ours. Hopefully it's not, based on the verses we're about to read, but I want you to have that in the back of your brain. Hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. There is a do- again a documentary came out a couple weeks ago about Hillsong Church, right? And, and that's where mine go- my mind goes right now. Reading some of these verses, it breaks my heart for the kingdom of God. There's people who found Jesus there and have now been hurt. And getting hurt at or by a church is not fun. I've been there. Maybe you have too. No church is perfect. We understand that, right? But whatever we plan in meetings, whatever we talk about, eventually is going to come to light. This is also ref- needs to be reflective of, of your life, too. Because, again, as God builds us here, who are the blocks? It's you. And we are all in this together. This is not the elders' church. This is not Pastor Josh's church. This is our church. And our church is God's church, right? So we should be building each other up in love, encouraging one another, spurring each other on for good works and generosity. And we're coming to this. He goes on, Jesus. uh, Verse 4, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, I have nothing more than they can do. Don't worry about the body. What are they going to do? Take your life? But I will warn you of whom to fear. Fear him who, after he was killed, has authority to cast into hell. And who is that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Again, we're basing our, our, some of our life decisions on the fear of the Lord. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. And again, we're going to go on with the landing point being eventually verse 21. I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. What this tells us in a very Cliff Notes version, because this isn't our dwelling place in today's scripture, is that how you live your faith really matters. And there's a bunch of people who might be ashamed or hesitant to call themselves Christians, whatever. In today's climate, it's not as popular or culturally acceptable as it was 10, 15, 20, 50, even 100 years ago. But guess what? Christianity has never been popular. It's just been accepted. Because really walking with Christ, there comes a cost. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities 
Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. And he's telling this again to who? Very specifically, his disciples. Because he knows that for most of them, there will come a day where they stand on trial for their faith. It's all about one of them losing their life for it. Don't worry about what you're going to say then. Stand firm. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, you got to, again, put yourself back in the context. Jesus is teaching his disciples. There's so many people around. It's, they're being crowded in. And just out of this entire crowd of thousands of people, one dude wants what's his. He's just there to gripe and complain. I deserve this. I'm owed this. And like you... It's like you're teaching a class on history and someone raises their hand and be like, um, what happens, what's two plus two? Like, what? Wrong class, kid. Like, not teacher. And so we have Jesus is teaching here about the, 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 the future t- coming times and living and not denying your faith. And then out of all that, one guy's clearly not paying attention and he's like, I want my money. Tell him I want my money. <sighs> I can imagine, it's not there, but I can imagine Jesus going like, sigh. Thousands of people. There's always at least one, right? (laughs) Usually more than one. There's always at least one. It's like, man, you're really not getting it, are you? You really want what's yours. Because I deserve it, right? And that's an entitlement place that our culture is in right now, isn't it? Uh, you, you see commercials. You deserve this. Treat yourself. Be good to yourself. You owe it to yourself. You're worthy of it. You deserve this. You know what we deserve? We deserve death. Absolutely, for our sin. That's what we deserve. But thanks be to God. Savior on a cross, sacrifice in our place. That's where our, that's where our joy should come from, right? I mean, really, we should wake up every day just joyful that they were saved. Anyway, back to the crowd. Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I want my money. Jesus said to him, man, (laughs) maybe just that way. (laughs) He said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Like, I'm not... I'm not your, your, I'm not your legal counsel. You know, you hired, you know, Hellman and Hellman PA, you know, to mitigate this internal, you know, I don't know, lawsuit. Man, I'm not, I'm not in that situation. He said, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, he's telling this back to the disciples, but who should be learning the lesson? Hopefully, there's a man who wants his money. He wants his fair share, right? And so he uses this man's covetousness, his jealousness, his envy, his I deserve this as the teaching moment. Take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness. 
For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, this goes in contrast to what the world essentially teaches you, right? Now, they never come out and say it. It's never bold. It's never plain. Buy more stuff. You need this. More money. Pay me. It's more subtle. With effective marketing and branding. Commercials get us to remember a product. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I've got so much stuff. What do I do with it? Storage unit. And Melbourne's building two things right now. Gas stations. Or really car washes for that. Who knows? And, and storage unit places. You all notice that? Because our houses don't have enough room for the stuff we have. And we think in our brain, I need this stuff. What will I do with it? I might not need it now. I might need it later. I will, I will acquire a storage unit so I can have more stuff. And said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. There I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You got, you, you got that pension plan that came in, that 401k, that Roth IRA. Dude, you are set. You could retire tomorrow and be okay. Whew, what a great life, soul. God said to him, fool, you're going to die tonight. This night your soul is required of you. And all the things you've prepared, who are they going to be? Who do they belong to now? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Friends, how can we be rich toward God? Treasures in heaven? Live for, live for more than this earth for sure. We can be good stewards of what we have, right? We can be generous and have a generous heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-11 through 11 says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. A few pages over also in the book of Luke chapter 14. Verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to Jesus and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's a hard teaching right there. I thought I'm supposed to love, yeah. 
but not honor more than Jesus. I'm supposed to be with my family and be a good and obedient child, Ephesians chapter 5. Be a good, uh, a good supporting wife and a good providing and, and sacrificing husband, yes. But our world has gotten so confused in the honoring of each other, which leads to the dishonoring of God. Think about that for a second. There's a hierarchy that you may try to put things into perspective. And it's a useful tool, though, to be honest, misguided. We like to have this tier that goes God, right? And maybe wife or husband. And then, if you're smart, kids. And then job. And then maybe friendships. or You put these things in a priority list. You categorize them in your mind. What the reality is, is what Jesus is saying here, is it should be God, everything else. You have responsibilities and obligations in the everything else category. Sure, right? God, every, everything else. And we like to think, oh, no, we're not so far apart. God here, husband here, God here, kids here. Nope. God, everything else. So we get, we get things confused because we think of them more closely than they ought to be. And this is, this is where he's going. He's like, look, it's really being a disciple is going to cost you more. It's going to change your mind and your mindset and your decisions more. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower, and we're in this series of Nehemiah, we're building, I believe God is building our church right now. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. And again, we've talked about the eyesore on I-4 and the little Jesus chapel there in your holopod. Great example of that again. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build, is not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate, whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? This is not smart, right? He's got twice as many men as you. Hmm. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. Hey, I think we're going to lose this battle. Whoops. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Whew, it's fun today, huh? Anyone who does not renounce all that they have cannot be my disciple. What this does is hopefully it puts into perspective whose it all is. Because it's not your stuff right? The earth is the Lord's and he made it. You even created. Do not belong to yourself. You are in Christ. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and you belong to the Lord. There is a cost 
to being a disciple. Now here's a question for today. Even if you would consider yourself already, here's the question. Do you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I mean, really. Because you're saying count the cost. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be popular. It may cost you even, especially then, and who knows now, your life. No one's going to martyr you on the side of the street, most likely. But in a few years, it might be it might cost you your job. Who knows? You know, following Jesus Christ is going to make you make different decisions. I was talking with a friend of mine in ministry this past week, and he said, "You know what? What turning our backs on on idols would look like today? It, it would look like canceling Amazon, Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu." You want to know what turning your back on your eyes would be? Try that. Oh, no, no, that's okay. Please don't take away my streaming services. Are any of those good or godly? No, in fact, there's a lot of debate in recent weeks about Disney and Disney Plus, and Disney is a theme park in general. Yeah, they've never professed to be a Christian company. Okay. That might be your argument, so then why give them money? <laughs> like, seriously, why, 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 why do we support that? Why do we condone that? Because our money matters and how we use it to be good stewards. And what we're going to pull out of this today is that every financial decision is a spiritual decision. So turn with me back to the book of Nehemiah, and let's, even if we don't read it all again, and we're not, let's, let's glance over what we've read earlier in Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 14 through 19. Was, was Nehemiah selfless or selfish? Okay, and did he choose to get what he deserved or not? No, in fact, whoever titled this back a long time ago, titled this section of the chapter, what? Nehemiah's generosity. And how Nehemiah used and did not abuse money and power mattered. It mattered so much that what he worked on and what was built were the some very same gates that Jesus entered into on this Palm Sunday that, we're gonna, that we celebrate today, week before Passover. Riding into the city, palm branches, woo-hoo! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, yay! A couple of days later, like, no, nah, bro, cost the disciple, too great. Just kidding. There is a cost, and Nehemiah knew what he was building. We read last week in Matthew chapter 6, and I'll recap it just quickly, is that the eye is the lamp of the body. You know what? No, we'll turn there. We'll go there. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 24. I'll just read it real quick. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. 
Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, and your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness, because you are deceived. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so what Jesus is saying here, again, picking up the same passage as last week, now through a different lens, almost literally, is that the eyes is the lamp of the body, right? What you look at, you honor. Think about that for a second. You honor what you look at. So if you choose to look at not good television programming, binge-watching for hours, if you choose to look at unhealthy shows, if you choose to look at pornography, if you choose, and the list goes on, what you look at, you honor. You're devoted to it, distracted by it even. It has your attention, right? Because your eyes guide you. It would be very foolish of me to close my eyes and attempt to walk off this platform. I would not make it. There are at least, and there's some things up here you can't see, cords and cables and monitors and steps. I would not make it. It would be foolish of me to not walk with my eyes open. So if I walked, I'm going to have my eyes open. I'm going to be looking where I am going, right? So I make sure I hit step, 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 and there we go. Yay. My eyes are guiding me. How are your eyes guiding you? What are you looking at? What gets your attention during the week? Is it godly or is it worldly? This is why it's so important in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. Put it aside. Discipleship comes. It's important. Let's lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely it wants to, but you're going to be like, nah. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And I actually prefer, I believe, it's the NIV in this passage. It just reads a little bit. Fixing our eyes. Fixed. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, as Brad read earlier, I earnestly desired to share this last supper with him. He knew it was coming, but he was looking for it, for the joy that was set before him, because what was the joy? It's a relationship with you. Forever, the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You've got to fix our eyes on Jesus, because you honor what you look at gets your attention. It gets your focus. As Nehemiah said, you know, we're, we're, he's looking at now the heart. God is looking at the heart. They might be building the wall, but as Nehemiah really began to look around, like, this is not good. In fact, verbatim, what you are doing, uh, the thing that you are doing is not good. This needs to be fixed. It's a heart issue. You're not being generous, you're being stingy. You're not being uh, helpful, you're being hurtful. You're not being selfless, you're being selfish. So what are you saying to those leaders? And this and that needed to be fixed. 
Let's call everybody together and we're going to fix it. We are in a series here which is about building. And we honor what we look at. Today there's a few things that have been planned for a little while, months even. And finally it's 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 done, right? Is it decorative? You might could argue that, but it's so much more than that. From the beginning of this year, our church started off in a series that was called Return to Me. And again, many of you were here for that, right? And we began turning our hearts toward the Lord, and we met in the round, and we, we took away some of the things that had been distractions. Prior to us returning to this setup, there were some visible differences, right? For one, there was a TV where this, on the top of that cross was. We took down the TV in the middle so that the cross could be there. Less reliant on technology, more reliant on, on that. Is technology bad? No, but it's not above this. Is it a symbol? Yeah, but symbols are important, right? <laughs> symbols matter. Your check engine light tells you that symbols matter. <laughs> they do. So we, we, this matters. And as we were in the round, what was at the center of everything every week? Do you remember? Was it the center of the room? crown of thorns and, and communion, right? And the whole plan from January was once we finished that, Mike and I had talked, we were like, we know what's coming next. And we were, Betty, we, we were ready. We, we had stuff planned in advance. We went shopping months early, like planned out the, the wood and stuff that we would need. And it's been sitting in what is now the almost student's room called the chapel, you know, for a long time. And Stephen, Lauren, and Frederick have been gracious uh, with the, with the projects that are hidden behind the chairs. You don't see anything. Um, this, we're coming back to this, right? The return to me has led us into this. And, and the building of all of this matters. A few weeks ago, y'all had the opportunity to write a prayer or a scripture on a piece of wood out there in the, out there in the cafe. Y'all remember that? Did y'all get a chance to sign that? Some people did. It was just a one Sunday thing if you were here. Oh, well, you missed it. Too bad. Guess where that piece of wood is? Your, your prayers that you wrote down the scripture passages make up every shelf on the inside of this pulpit that Mike and I built. Well, Josh, why do we need a pulpit? You, you have a table. In fact, for the Return to Me series, you didn't even need one. At least that's what you thought. <laughs> this, this thing is interesting, all right? Number one, months ago, I can't explain it. I feel God laid it on my heart, build a pulpit. That's, that's still where that is, all right? Number two, 
Um, this wood does not serve to make the person behind it more powerful. This thing is now a permanent fixture in our facility so that the proclamation of the Word of God is prominent. All right? So this is this. And if we look at what we honor, if you would, if you would come into our facility six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, and you would have looked around, hopefully, you would have been able to see that we value technology. There's three TVs displayed across there with cool backgrounds. It would have said that we value the Sunday experience because there could have been some haze or fog or smoke or something. And cool lights. Never got lasers, but there's some cool lights. Right? You, we should... Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of lasers. I don't need lasers. Pay attention. We're leaving some things behind as we pursue discipleship in Christ together. And God is building something here because eight years ago today, this Palm Sunday, the previous leader, much that had led before Nehemiah, had abused the privileges. And if you're a member here, you know. And if you weather that and you're still here, you know. And if you want to know, I'll tell you later. Eight years ago was that man's last Sunday leading this church, and he went toodles. And so the 31 of us or so that were left picked up the pieces of a portable church with no direction, no location, and we said, we're going to pursue God. And somewhere along the way, it became easier to not do the hard thing because there is a cost. Somewhere along the way, it became easier to be attractional than devotional. Somewhere along the way, it became easier to be about the experience We're leaving that behind. You say, okay, Josh, I, this is some hard years. They led us here. That's great. That's good. We're here now. Well, now what? And like Nehemiah, I feel like the wall is halfway built. We've got a facility, right? That's great. And I'm thankful for that. What next? Well, it comes now down to it's the hearts. It's on you and it's on me. 
to really put up or shut up about our faith and how we live it, how we share it, how we hold ourselves accountable to this, how we build up this. There's words out in the wall that we've said every week. Grow, belong, and serve. These are important words, right? But these are action words. They are verbs, specifically. To go do something. Go, grow, belong, and serve. But if I asked you a question... Okay, you grow and you belong and you serve, but who is True Life Church? If I asked a hundred of you that question, I would probably get a hundred different answers. Maybe not even all bad answers. But as God is building our church, I want to share something with you today because this is important. I want to share with you what I believe God is building here. We've been talking about it in our leadership team for a couple months, a couple leadership summit meetings. Now we've, we've hit on this. I want to share this with you. The first thing I want to share with you is that I believe that God is building us into a community that is authentic. Authentic. We've got to be real with each other. Uh, James chapter 5 uh, tells us, you know, to... Confess your sins to one another, forgiving each other. We've got to be authentic and real with, with where we're at. We're not going to pretend to be someone we're not. We're not going to copycat some other church because they did an event that sounded cool and looked cool. Maybe let's try that here. The more important question is, what is God calling us to do? Period. Question mark. We've got to worship authentically in spirit and in truth. And that means that our style or our visual setup might be a little bit different than some other churches. That's okay. Are you modern? Yes. Are you traditional? Sure. What's with the pulpit? Cool. But it looks old-fashioned. Yes. But it's new. Yes. Old is not bad and new is not good. We're going to worship authentically in spirit and in truth. And we're on the hunt as we continue progressing our church forward, leaving theologically inaccurate songs and groups and churches that write them. So you're going to see, and you may have already noticed this already, some of the songs are like, oh, that's a new song. Oh, I like it. Ask yourself why. <laughs> Is it biblical? Is it scriptural? Or to just elevation, just drop it like it's hot and it's popular right now. So, so popular right now. I heard this on Z8.3. If you start with, I heard it on Z8.3, it's just the conversation is over right there, probably. <laughs> and really tracking down the authentic praise and worship of God. Might even write some of our own songs. Who knows? But we're going to be authentic to the body of Christ as God leads us to be in this, there's some room in here for some ebb and some flow because our body may change over time, right? As people, new people come with new talents, new gifts may slightly change, but we're going to be authentic to what God has called us to be. Number two, we're going to be intentional. Being very intentional, and this, this applies not just to our church, but it's 
you, right? Because you are part of our church. To wake up every day and say, all right, what Bible am I going to read today? What passage? God, where are you leading me? I'm going I'm to be intentional about what we're doing. And the Acts 2 church shows us that. And hopefully we know that well enough that we don't have to turn there. But the early church, they devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the prayers, to the breaking of bread. They were very intentional about what they did and how they did it when they gathered. So I'm all about like future and upcoming, teaser here, future and upcoming men's deep sea fishing trip. I'm excited about that in June. And I'm, I'm not going to be there, but I'm equally as excited for the women's event of axe throwing and dinner. They're going. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to find out that in a couple minutes, right? Fun stuff. But, but we're not going to do events just for the sake of events. Every time we gather, and you heard it here first, folks. Yeah, every time we gather, we're going to pray with each other. Open the Word of God together. Don't let any moment go by without opening Scripture with each other and praying with each other and encouraging each other and confessing with each other and forgiving each other. We're going to be authentic. We're going to be intentional in what we say and what we do. We are going to be hospitable. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, encourages us to be hospitable to everyone at all times. Our greeting team aren't the only people who are allowed to be hospitable. The welcome card isn't the only thing in a row that's allowed to ask someone if this is the first time here today. Whose job is it to be hospitable? Everybody's. I can't tell you, there's just... How many people have, have, have visited and come to our church because they said that they were unwelcomed in another church and this church felt friendly, felt welcoming? Friends, do not stop that. In fact, more. Because the church and the world needs hospitality. And this, what a great opportunity to model servanthood here. Model hospitality by, by being on a cleaning team, by teaching kids down the hall important lessons of faith by serving a production in our cafe. And it just, man, what an opportunity. What a privilege to serve, right? What, what an opportunity to be hospitable to each other. Fourthly, we're going to be truthful. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 tells us to speak the truth in love. And I'll tell you what, that's not always popular. The world doesn't want truth right now, not the truth. They want their truth. I'm living my truth. Great, your truth is wrong. Why? Because it's not this truth. They need the truth, capital T, the way, the truth, the life. They need Jesus. And we've got to be truthful with each other. Hey, this is not good. The thing you are doing is not good. And it, I'm not going to base... The truth on my opinions, I think you're doing it wrong. Now we're going to confront truthfulness from here. And let this call each other out. I think you did that poorly. Find it in the book. And then Matthew 18 tells us exactly how to deal with some of that. Even beyond these walls, our church is going to need to be truthful out there. Buckle up. It's going to be a hard one. 
We talked about the cost already, right? Following. One's going to be a steep bill to pay. But we've got to be truthful. And again, speak that truth in love. So far, we've made a square. All of this is built on something else. And this is my favorite word. Let's go to the last one. It's Jesus. <laughs> well, what do you think it was going to be? <laughs> Marketing. No. <laughs> it's, it's Jesus. Our foundation for everything we do is Jesus. It's got to be. It's got to be our motivation when we wake up in the morning and why we choose to do what we do and why we give the way we give and why we're generous and why we, why we do certain things and don't do certain things and the world is like, what are you doing? That doesn't make any sense. Why cancel Disney Plus or whatever it is? Because that's our foundation. Now, I'll be real with y'all. It's been a fun eight years, starting eight years. It's fun seven years here to wrap up. Next Sunday starts on Easter. That was the last Sunday, Palm Sunday. Uh, eight years starts my eighth year of being lead pastor here. It's crazy, right? Like, I'm old. Y'all stayed the same age, but I got old. And we've been in a couple of different locations. We've moved, we've relocated, we've renovated. And right now we are at um, April of 2022, right? Our current lease extension, we have two more left. We're halfway through one of those. Gets us through November of this year. Newsflash, in August of this year, we already have to decide whether or not we're releasing here. It's not that much time. And even if we do sign that last lease extension, that gets us... That only buys us a year and a half of time here. Now, yes, we could release this space again, and I don't know what's coming, right? Let's go to this last slide, because what we're really building here is this. And this doesn't need a building, right? That, we build this, that doesn't need 2190 Sarno, if we build that, that's not even limited by 2190 Sarno. This could be way bigger than 2190 Sarno could ever hold. And as Nehemiah is looking out on this, on this city saying, we're building a wall, God is building something here. I saw a quote this past week that said, leadership is doing something new. Management is just, man, is just taking care of what's already there. Church, we are going to lead. We're going to go new places. We're not going to simply just manage what's here and be okay with status quo. We are going to grow and belong and serve together. But for the next months or years, if, if, if someone asks, well, hey, who is True Life Church? Tell them this. We're a community that's authentic, and we pursue God, 
And being authentic doesn't mean we condone sin, right? You get that? I'm just being my authentic self. Not if the Bible says it's wrong, because that's truth. (laughs) They're not going to contradict each other. The world needs Jesus. And they need to see a church that is, that is authentic. It's not playing pretend and just about the experience. They need to see people that are intentional about their pursuit of gospel lifestyle and discipleship. They need to see a people who are hospitable. Like they can't even get their brain around it. Why are they so nice all the time? Like especially I show up and there's more of them? They need to know of people that are truthful, who speak the truth in love and aren't ashamed of it. And we do all of these things because of the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sits the right hand of the Father. That's why we do what we do. Yeah, do we grow, belong, and serve? Absolutely. But this is important for us. This is a shift in our church. Not just because of the little wind pulpit. Not just because of a, a really cool looking decorative cross. But even this is intentional. Already being modeled. Friends, I'm just, we're just going to close with that today. I know what time it is. To be honest, I don't care. If you know me, you know I don't care. And I'm really excited about what God is doing in our church. You know why? Because I'm really excited about you. I love seeing what God is doing in your life. And as a pastor... There's probably few greater joys than seeing the people that they get to shepherd grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. When you tell me about a next step that you took or how you read a devotional this week and it's been marinating in the scripture, when when you tell me you're reorienting the way you discipline your kids or you're shifting your lives around so that you can be more generous with your finances, so you can be obedient and then some, Like, my goodness. And so I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for the privilege and the opportunity that these last seven years has given me, that God has has given me you. So I would appreciate your prayers going forward, myself as well as probably the elders, for the continued biblical leadership of this church. Because the days ahead are harder than what's behind. I do know that. But I also believe they may be better than what's behind. Because every step forward, who are we running with? Who are we pursuing? Who is our foundation? Jesus. I'll close with this. We were watching some basketball last week at my house. Uh... Final four had led to some teams that I did not pick. My bracket was busted. Nevertheless, I got to watch UNC in Kansas in the final game, and my son Landon 
he loves sports and whatever sport we're as on the TV or whatever, he'll come. He'll find the appropriate ball in his room and come out and just want to want to play. It's fantastic and annoying. Get out of the way. So, um, but uh, that was really good. And, and he's coming out there. He wants to play. And he's like, you know, Daddy, who's gonna win? I'm like, I don't know. It's UNC and Kansas. Could be a tough game. They're not both gonna win. Nope. Why one team has to lose? Well. Because that's the way sports work. But why? Well, son, because there's only one winning team. And even at four years old, his mind is learning and grasping what the world fails to understand. There's only one winning team, y'all. Pursuing the world amounts to nothing. Doing what's culturally popular amounts to nothing. Acquiring all the riches in the world amounts to nothing. You really want to matter in life? Live for Jesus. Only one team wins. Let's play for that team, right?